Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Taluka. Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. This episode is sponsored by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership includes 50-plus member discounts on everything from massage tables and supplies to cell phone service. And all members can access over 200 continuing education courses with free CE hours. You can read ABMP's award-winning member magazine, Massage and Bodywork, at www.massageandbodyworkdigital.com. And listeners who join ABMP as new members can save $24 on their membership at www.abmp.com forward slash thinking. With ABMP, you can expect more. And we certainly thank ABMP for their sponsorship of the podcast. So we're here uh, this morning with our next episode of The Thinking Practitioner. Till, how are things out in the Rocky Mountains this morning? Pretty great, Whitney. How are you doing? Doing good. We are, uh, this will be a while probably before this episode goes live, but we are posting and recording or uh, recording today several days after the holidays. So I think everything's a little bit sort of settled down and subdued after <laughs> yeah. some hectic, crazy holiday things going on. Here. That's right. I think I just looked. It's March. We're going to be broadcasting this in Oh, March. is it really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So happy spring, everybody. Yeah, very good. Okay. So it's still still wintertime while we're recording this. So um, a good day for us to be diving into some neurophysiology today, I think, some something like that. Is that what we're doing today? Always a good idea on a uh, day like today. Yep. Mm-hmm. Neurobiology of descending modulation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I was glad you proposed that. It actually is a really interesting topic. But I wonder, you want to start off by telling us what it is? What is descending modulation? Well, um, you know, we're sort of uh, learning all kinds of new things about physiology. And to me, this is one of the most fascinating aspects that I've come across in recent years talking about, uh, for mainly for us as soft tissue manual therapists, trying to figure out what is it that um, or, or essentially why is it that the work that we do has the effects that it does. And I think descending modulation is probably one of the most um, powerful and important um, sort of uh, descriptors of what is actually happening when we do soft tissue manipulation. So see if I can put this kind of, kind of in a nutshell. If we think about the fact that there are neural receptors at the periphery of our body that are sending signals up to the brain, and then those signals are eventually, uh, and keeping, keeping in mind, too, this is sort of uh, uh, along a newer understanding of how pain works in the body, that there really aren't pain signals sent from the periphery to the brain, but they're just sensory signals, and they eventually get interpreted by the brain Let to be see. pain. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I, I interrupted your punchline. To be pain. <laughs> <laughs> to be pain what? Yeah, so essentially you're not sending pain signals through the body, you're sending sensory signals, and they are eventually uh, interpreted possibly as pain, depending on a number of all kinds of factors that may may or may not determine whether or not those sensations are pain. All right, let me see if I get it. So yeah. sensors in the periphery of the body, that's like out at the edges of the body. This is basically skin, joints, is that right? Those in the periphery? Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're generating signals. And you're saying a signal is not pain in this point of view? Right. So those, those peripheral uh, receptors we call nociceptors, um, and then they are sending 
signal back to the central nervous system, uh, central nervous system, which we call nociception. So that's uh -huh. the, the transmission of the signal is nociception, but it's not yeah. pain really until the brain interprets it as as pain based on all kinds of other factors. We'll get into that. Uh, okay, big dis important on. distinction between nociception and pain. Nociception yeah. being the signals that come from the tissues, the receptors within those, and the pain is the experience within the brain. Yeah. Now, the thing about descending modulation that's fascinating is the brain has the capability to, the best way to kind of explain that is in sort of a, a simplistic description of saying that we can either turn up the volume on those signals which would make the pains or the, the sensation, the nociceptive signals, more likely to produce pain. And turning up the volume is one means of sort of modulating those signals. So we refer to this as uh, descending facilitation, meaning it's from the higher brain centers where the, the signals are eventually getting processed, the higher uh, uh, brain centers up there can uh, create a process where it facilitates or enhances that signal. And that is one form of descending modulation. It's called descending facilitation. All right. So wait, so, hang on a second here. So modulation means what? Turning up or turning so down? Yeah, so modulation means changing, essentially. Changing. So turning gotcha. up or turning down. Okay. Yeah. So we can do it one of two ways. We can turn it up through descending facilitation, or we can turn it down through something called descending inhibition. And you told us about turning it up through descending facilitation. The brain can make it worse, you're saying. Yeah. Or, yeah. or we, can, um, in, we can suppress those signals and keep them from causing pain sensations, and that would be descending inhibition. And that is, you know, again, this is, happens through a whole cascade of, you know, neurochemicals, you know, neurotransmitters and uh, oxytocin and, and endogenous or, uh, endorphins and all these types of neurochemical processes that may sort of tamp down the signal. That's just one way that this descending inhibition can happen. But either way, either turning the volume up or turning the volume down would be what descending modulation essentially is. So we call it descending because it's the higher brain levels that are sending signals down to lower level neurons to either enhance them or to suppress the signals that are coming from them. Great, great description. And just, yeah, so this uh, model assumes that we're standing up, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, I this, that. <laughs> so descending. Or sit, if at least that's right. Up. If you're like hanging upside down on a bar. Interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. All right. Never, yeah let's not so. go there. That could, it's confusing right. enough as it so, is. So yeah, like in anatomical position, is that still superior if you're uh -huh. upside down, hanging down, that's if you're it. going towards your head, right? Okay. So anyway, the brain is either turning up or turning down these signals, inhibiting or facilitating them. And there's all these great endorphins and endocannabinoids and endogenous opioids and all this stuff, oxytocin neurotransmitters involved in that. They generally yeah. turn it down, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So to me, and again, what we've learned now that there's all kinds of processes that may sort of set this in motion. And one of the things is that we know that uh, creating safe, compassionate, uh, caring spaces and safe, compassionate, caring touch between two humans is one of the things that's, that encourages the descending inhibition. So that's one of the things that sort of encourages an inhibiting of those signals becoming 
the level that is, is reproducing a pain type of sensation. So Sounds that's like where oc- the whole manual therapy thing I get in. you. It sounds like oxy- yeah. oxytocin to me. Yeah. For example, yeah. like this, you're talking about that safe, uh, connected, affiliative feeling that actually makes the pain signals uh, less loud when they yeah. reach the brain. It, that's yep. Yeah, that's something too that uh, struck me from these, this paper you sent me. Mm-hmm. that summarized it, the three-neuron idea. You got the peripheral neuron that's getting the signal, signal, generating it, transducing it, getting a signal. You got the interneuron that where the modulation happens. That's in the central nervous system. And then you have like a, a, a brain neuron that's uh, involved in transmitting that out to the rest of the brain. That inhibition happens along that wire, so the oxytocin thing or the affiliative thing is actually turning down that signal along its transmission. It's like having a speaker wire that turns yeah. down the music for you. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's probably a, a really good analogy of getting a sense of understanding how that whole process works. And you did mention the fact um, that we were both um, reading this article that yeah. struck us as very interesting along this. And just for those who want to follow along, this article was originally published in Massage and Fitness magazine in October of 2019. The article title is Why Massage Therapy Can Alleviate Pain. And the Mark author, Olson. Mark Olson... Yeah, it goes into extensive description of uh, some of these neurochemical and and neurobiological processes behind pain management associated with various uh, manual therapy methods. Great, great article, so definitely take a look at it uh, in there. Kudos um, kudos to Mark and everybody else involved in that. Yeah, it's a complex topic and great, great uh, run through for it. Yeah. Uh, Mark is the director of the Pacific Center for Awareness and Bodywork in Kauai, in uh, Hawaii, and... um, He's published, I've seen a couple other uh, pieces he's put out together, too. So he's got some other stuff that he's done that's really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and if I remember correctly, he's got a background in, in uh, neurophysiology or something like that. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, very, very well versed in, in a lot of this, the, the academic aspects of what we're talking about here. Great. So you're saying, we where did we leave off? You're saying like the music gets turned down just by this affiliative thing, just like good feeling you have with someone. Is yeah. Right? Yeah, so there's uh, a couple different ways that this can happen, um, and he goes over these in this, this article. So, for one thing, you know we've all kind of heard about um, Melzack and Wall's um, gate theory of pain, which came out, I believe, in the mid '60s. Is yeah. that right? '65-ish yeah. or so, something like that, I think. Mm. So essentially, saying that um, certain types of signals may travel to the central nervous system faster than others. Um, and this is a, a thing that I have found very pertinent for reframing my understanding of how some of the various massage techniques that we use are particularly effective. For example, those techniques that engage movement simultaneously with massage are giving a lot of sensory information back into the central nervous system about proprioception and uh, body movement and engagement of muscle contractions and all that sensory information is traveling back to the brain and the higher brain centers at a faster rate than any of the nociceptive signals. So oftentimes they may get there first and sort of close the gate on some of those signals. And that's one method of descending inhibition that um, is is directly, I think, uh, responsive for the type of work that we're doing with massage. Now, the way I, I, I love it that you brought that in, the way I understand it, that's actually ascending inhibition. That the gate theory is an example of going the other way, that the signals from the periphery beat out some of the other signals and actually inhibit it from the bottom up. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we could consider this as a, another means of modulation. Yes, you're right. That's what we're frequently referred to as ascending inhibition because those signals are all coming in. Um, and we're trying to sort of, like you said, beat the, uh, beat them to the punch, um, so yes. to speak. Yes. Yeah. But we should, I mean, I should also mention this is a theory, huh? Yes, there, there absolutely. Is, and most of the debate is about smaller points. The larger strokes are probably, there's probably a reasonable consensus around, but they're, I think most of the debate says, well, maybe the gate theory isn't the whole story and that it's complicated and there's exceptions and things like that. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, what we're, we're seeing too, there's a, a number of different factors here. But one of the things that I, that's been particularly interesting to me about this whole idea of descending modulation, and I'd like to hear your take on this, mm. um, is I was having a bit of a difficult time with some of the narratives around the physiological effects of some of the different massage techniques that we were, that I was teaching, for example. So I might uh, be focusing on teaching, you know, this spreading or broadening technique with the thumbs or the hands. And I was taught, well, what we're doing is sort of spreading apart muscle fibers and helping to encourage their pliability. And it seems the more we've sort of dived into looking at the the actual physiology of what happens under the skin, some of those narratives don't seem to be following good physiological descriptions of what's happening. But we know they get great results. And so the question becomes like, what's really happening under our hands to that person? And I think my perception now is that a whole lot more of what we do that gets really significant clinical benefit has a lot more to do with these concepts like descending modulation than it may with the what we're actually doing to manipulate or change tissue structure. So what, what are your thoughts about that? Is that how, has this impacted your perception of the narrative around what you're doing with your work at all? Uh, that's, that's the great question. Yeah. Uh, yes, it does quite a bit. I think it's actually really important and I think it's a big deal. Uh -huh. And um, it does provide another explanation for what we're doing that doesn't involve, like, say, muscle, connective tissue, bone, joints, except as, as the location where the signal is generated. Mm -hmm. It provides a model or a way of thinking about it or a mechanism that explains how the brain uh, controls the intensity of experience. And we all know from our hands-on work that the way we go about things can make something feel really great or can make it feel really bad. And yeah. even when somebody's in pain, the way we uh, manage the interaction with them, the way we talk to them, the way we touch them, the pacing, all those things can make their pain better. And so that descending modulation idea gives an explanation for that, it gives me a model to think about, okay, I'm turning down the volume for them of this intensity coming from their body. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is a, that is a useful explanation for me a useful way of thinking about it yeah and i think that it even if that and again a lot of this stuff may change we may you know learn more in the future about those things you know our theories may change or evolve as they always do yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to uh put away or not do or you know n n change the way that we're doing things in the clinic that are working because they're working for a particular reason but there is some benefit and value in in looking at having a better understanding of what really is happening there because then we can find out how do we enhance that how do we make it better you know and this is one of the things that i'm you know always looking at well if this really is uh, a lot of the effects of what we're doing are really based on 
um, some aspect of this idea of descending modulation, then I want to know how do we, you know, how do we make it better? I'm you know, not, yeah, it? absolutely. I'm not sure about the really part yet. Is this what we were really doing? I guess yeah. I'm, I tend to be even more of a skeptic around the even the newest explanations. But I think it's a really useful model, and it's got it seems to you know make sense. The other stuff I learned made sense at the time it did too. So who knows? But yeah. as somebody, and like you did too, with original background and training in psychology, it's not a big leap for me to go, okay, yeah, the brain controls experience. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe there's ways the brain is actually changing the signal in its way. Yeah. No, not yeah. a big leap for me at all. Yeah. Now there, and go ahead. Go ahead. Ah, me. All right. Yeah. Th- though there are some, um, I'm wondering if it's time for a halftime break, because there are some actual some quibbles or debates or controversy around this idea I thought it'd be interesting to bring up and think through. Should we do our halftime spot first? That sounds good. So who is our halftime sponsor today? Uh, this episode is sponsored by Handspring Publishing. And my story is when I wrote my advanced myofascial techniques books, I was uh, lucky enough to have two offers, one from a big international company, that did a lot of media and a lot of different channels, and the other from Handspring, which is four great people who run their own publishing house out of Edinburgh, Scotland. And I'm really glad I went with them for my books because not only did they help me make the books I wanted to make, but their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and like they say, all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. Yeah, certainly by all means, they've done a great job of expanding their offerings for the whole movement and manual therapy professions. And their author list reads like a who's who for many of the leading thinkers in our field. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com and browse their excellent catalog over there where you'll find uh, great books like Till's book on uh, myofascial techniques over there. And once you find the gems you must have, use that code TTP, like the thinking practitioner, at checkout for a discount. Whitney, you mentioned my book, and I know you know them and, and have a great relationship with them. Have you written a book for them? Uh, no, actually, I was working with all of the Handspring group when they were still with another di- uh, big publishing company. They right. used to be with Elsevier, and I yes. worked with them when they were all with Elsevier before they went over and before Handspring existed. So that's how I know them and have wonderful respect for them, and, and uh, yes. I think they're great folks over there. So That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I mentioned so. some of the controversies or quibbles with this descending modulation idea. Uh, and I did, I did. I dug into that a little bit because I was aware that there were some. I wanted to get clear on what they were. Perhaps, should we go through those? Yeah, let's 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 uh, di- dive into that a little bit. Uh, one of the quibbles has to do with duration. So if I can turn down the signal, is that a lasting effect? Is that a permanent change, or is that just like making them feel better while I have my hands on them or while they're in my practice room? Yeah, that's a really good question. There was something I think this was in, it may have been in the Vygotsky paper. There's another paper we'll put in the show notes that has a really good description of this idea of descending modulation in manual therapy. Yeah. There was something, and I think it may have been in the Vygotsky paper where they were talking about this lasting for somewhere around, uh, boy, and I'm, I may misquote the time frame, but it was something like 90 minutes or something like that specifically. Um, that they were, and what they had been studying was lasting for that period of time. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, this is, there's all kinds of other factors that may come into the equation to 
uh, affect how long or how powerful and impactful those sensations are. But, uh, you know, I think even if that um, sort of level of modulation is only impacted for a shorter period of time, to me, there are other potential benefits of that process if you can change some aspects of proprioception and some aspects of, of you know, pain management or reducing the pain sensations to some degree that a person experiences. It can encourage greater freedom of movement, greater sense of confidence of movement, of being able to do things without as much discomfort or pain. Oh. And those can have very long-lasting effects, I think, much more long-lasting effects in some of the processes of getting people back to good full activity again. So, okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I've had yeah. my own take on it too. But you're saying that even if the, the descending modulation is measurable for, you said 90 minutes, I've read different amounts, and who knows? Like you said, there's lots of factors. But even if yeah. it's like on the order of hours or days and not weeks and months, then maybe it provides a... a a context or a respite or a period of time where people can do different things and change their minds or change their reactions to what they're doing in a way that's helpful over time. Yeah. There was something uh, that um, Mark had put in his paper when he was talking about um, in many chronic pain patients, it seems as if some of the um, strategies or processes for descending inhibition become impaired. And that's uh -huh. why people get, get into these cycles of chronic pain and unable to find any real serious tissue damage, but there is still a pretty significant level of ongoing pain sensation with them. And that's because the descending inhibition is getting impaired. And yes. so if we go back to this idea of, hey, if we can do things that encourage people to think, I can do this without pain. I can do this particular thing. This I'm not, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be in pain forever. Those very thought processes also get engaged in the as one piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. for encouraging greater degrees of of the the descending inhibition as well. Mm -hmm. And then I know that I have it on my wish list of topics. Just the question of lasting change and and duration. So we I don't want to get too far down that path. There's such a so much to say about it, but briefly, I think about it, again, with my background being in psychology, it wasn't a big leap for me to think, okay, what I'm doing is changing the way people think and feel and react to what's happening. And maybe there are tissue effects too. But if I can do that, like you said, even temporarily, then that, that by itself can have a lasting impact. It's the idea that we're actually maybe uh, educating or providing an experience even more than we're being tissue mechanics. We probably are having a mechanical effect on the tissues to some level, but we're also having a lot of impact on giving people an experience, and people change from having experience to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, so those, those aspects of, of touch experience are also ingrained in, in both memory and perceptual awareness that um, I think really enhances a lot of what we're doing. And this, you know, as we get kind of back to this whole idea of the benefits of what we do in manual therapy in relation to some of this um, neurophysiology in terms of the way the brain works. You know, we are hardwired essentially from the time of infancy when, you know, when you're crying as a baby and you get the soft, soothing stroking from your parent, that gets encoded as, hey, this is good. This is mm -hmm. a good thing. This settles down my discomfort. And that's what we're doing a lot of the time in the treatment room with people is helping them feel that same sensation of comfort, safety, and caring, uh, interactive human touch. And that's, you know, as we said, it's it's hardwired into the nervous system to say, this is a beneficial response. This is a good thing. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's, you know, it's not as much technique dependent as it is context dependent. You and I have talked about this uh, a lot before. And I, you know, just down the list of quibbles, um, I wrote uh, Jeffrey Bove, who is a researcher. He was the guy that really dug into uh, the Nervine Nervora and how it's involved in neuropathic pain. And yeah, and can a, you um, elaborate on that, where the Nervine Nervorum is for those? The Nervine Nervorum are the nerves of the nerves. It turns out your yeah. nerves themselves have sensation and that they may be implicated in chronic pain, but certainly in neuropathic pain where you have pain that's coming from the nerve itself, not the yeah. nerve transmitting a signal, but the nerve generating a signal. I think it's fascinating, isn't it? So he's, he's an interesting guy. He, I saw him first present at the Fascial Congress maybe four, eight years ago, I don't remember. And he tends to take a gadfly kind of position. He likes to question things and shake them up. And so when I was looking for, okay, so what are the reservations about descending modulation. I thought, he's the guy I'm going to ask. And he actually wrote back with some interesting stuff. He said, you know, it's actually really important, this idea, and it's a big deal. But the place we get trapped is we can start stating opinion as facts. And he had specific yeah. critiques about the pa- both those papers I sent him. He says, yeah, they're, you know, they're saying stuff that they're opinions, they're points of view, but you know, there's mm-hmm. not always consensus on this is exactly how it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he also, here's a quote, and it makes me realize that I need to go back and change our tag from clean to explicit on this podcast on Apple. Because he said, okay. the problem we have boils down to that we have no idea about what the fuck we are doing. He said, quote, uh-huh. quote me on that. Yeah. yeah. He says, this is all shooting in the dark, but even our current work clearly shows that mobilization has profound effects on inflammation and fibrosis, at least in terms of maintaining normal. So he's going into some of the tissue effects that I'm, again, that's the rabbit hole that I spend my time diving down is what are we actually doing in the tissue? And then he comes yeah. back out. He says, uh, do we know what parts we're working on altogether? Mostly the list is not that long. There's not that many possible things we could affecting. How about which ones are important? He says, no way. We don't have no idea yet. But he says for him, it's all about the nerves. It always has been, but he admits he's got a nerve bias. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating times that we live in trying to come to better understandings of what we're doing. And I think it's um, it's uh, can be challenging for people because some of these things disrupt paradigms of the way you were taught about what's happening or what you're doing or what the you know the rationale is behind the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I you know I always try to encourage people to say don't get too caught up in that whole aspect of thinking that you know everything is different or everything's you know the ground is constantly shifting out from under your feet we know that clinically what happens in that room is very profound and very effective on a number of different levels and we just keep trying to figure out exactly why it does what it does and there's a you know there's an important reason behind that is because when we really understand the mechanisms better we can figure out how to encourage them and enhance them and you know really use them to their advantage yep there's also some debate around uh, the role of deep touch, which is interesting. Uh, Tell you know, me about that. Well, we uh, there's one point of view on one side of this debate that says deep touch sensitizes. Deep touch always facilitates. It doesn't inhibit pain signaling. Mm-hmm. And certainly the DNM people can tend to go there, not to single anybody out at all. And in fact, they'll, they'll say, you know, when I've tried to pin down... Uh, people on that, they'll say, well, actually, maybe not. But that's sometimes there's that assumption that deep work will uh, make things worse no matter what. Yeah. 
And for sure, there's people that happens with. But again, my bias as a somebody with a rolfing background is we use a lot of deep touch and didn't see it make things worse, saw it make things better. So in the descending modulation literature, there's the discussion of conditioned pain modulation, where it was actually, <laughs> it was actually poor mice that experimented with hot water and mice looking at their pain responses. So if you If you kind of give a mouse a pain experience, this experience with hot water, they don't notice other pain experiences as much. Yeah. And so a lot of pain experiments, they'll do a conditioned pain modulation where they'll have you poke yourself with a pen or do something that causes some pain because that is thought to activate that response and then they take that out of the equation. Yeah. So deep yeah. touch is anything that produces a bit of pain uh, also makes other pain less uh, bothersome, you could say. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to say I'm in full agreement with you there because I've had some of those same discussions with some of the uh, practitioners who have shifted a perspective onto doing just really light work focusing predominantly on the supposed effects with the cutaneous nervous system receptors saying that's really where that's where it's all happening. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I can't argue with my own personal experience of my own body in that like you know every time I go out and work in the yard moving rocks around I come in the next day and my back is killing me I do light you know gentle soothing kinds of touch things on it and it feels nice but it does not help my back pain until I get out my theracane and start really doing a lot of deep work on those chronically tight sore muscles and that's what really helps them. Yeah, sometimes uh, for whatever there's reason. nothing. Sometimes yeah. there's nothing like an elbow. Yeah, and it's how it's how you use the theracane or the elbow or yeah. whatever that makes it either facilitating or inhibiting on yeah. your overall pain experience. Yeah. So do you um, do you think about this perspective or idea as you're doing particular types of techniques, or or do you sort of? Oh yeah think along the lines of like, what, what, am I, what am I really doing here? What's sort of enhancing this or, or whatever? So. I try not to say that really weird again, just because it's like, yeah. I have no idea. But yeah. it's I do think about it a lot. I try to get my students to think about it at workshops, to think that the, the tissue we're probably having the biggest impact on is the tissue between your ears. Yeah. And it's, it really is the way the brain is experiencing things. Or our target is experience, as opposed to our target being fascia or nerve or bone or skin or whatever. Yeah. Actually, the the ultimate impact we want to have is on people's experience. We want them to feel better, whether yeah. or not they're in pain. So yeah, in that sense, I think about it all the time. Now, again, from a psychology point of view, even signals are biological. Even this idea that we're, you know, we're changing experience by turning down signals is kind of bi is kind of sciency and tangible in a way mm -hmm. that I don't even need from a purely psychological point of view. We've known for a long time that we can help people feel better by uh, thinking about their brain reactions. Now, we're t you know, we could go into, a whole, maybe we should, we should do a whole episode on it, all the ways that the brain changes our physical experience, the contextual effects, the conditioned responses, the expectation, all that stuff. Because that's, uh, I think, good practitioners use those all the time. They're setting up the situation, they're managing expectations, they're using their voice. They use the power of the environment, the therapeutic ritual, that ends up giving people a great experience. Yeah. So that's right. that's a that's a descending modulatory process. We're probably making the pain less intense to them, just by the the mindset we create. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, for many of those practitioners who 
um, I, I've often found this to be the case too in, in some of the different times of my career when I was working in other healthcare environments with other health professionals who worked in more of a, a clinical type of environment where it's, um, you know, the sort of typical clinical treatment room, the sort of hard floor, bright fluorescent lights, um, kind of cold temperature in the room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talk to them about what we try to do in um, a manual therapy experience with people with soft, dim lighting, mm -hmm. warm room, you know, often soft, pleasant music playing in the background. Those things are actually a big part of the therapeutic encounter that helps that sense of descending modulation without having anything to do with what we're doing, touching them. And it, right. it is certainly a, a very important and valuable part of what we do in, in our treatment processes with everybody. That's right. I mean, I, we spent yeah. our first episode kind of talking about our background, and you're taking me back to my days at the Esalen Institute, where we learned and practiced on a deck overlooking the Pacific Ocean, halfway down a cliff, surrounded by wilderness. There's waves crashing, there's whales, there's yeah. dolphins, there's fog banks rolling in. And we're doing uh, body work out in the open there. And it was, every session was amazing. And then people would leave, practitioners like me would leave Esalen, and the question was always, can I do a great session anywhere else? Yeah. And so that's been a great inquiry along the way. It's like, how do I create an experience? How do I create, including the use of the environment? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, uh, you know, a clinical setting. Is it, uh, but it's, it makes me think it's not always about just recreating Esalen or recreating uh, a warm, soft environment. It's not always about warm and fuzzy. Sometimes a clinical environment creates the expectations of a particular response that's helpful too. Yeah. So there's a certain level of, of, uh, of relativity where we just respond to whatever is most helpful. It doesn't yeah. have to be a certain way. It doesn't have to be the right music doesn't even have to have music. It's more like, can we create the conditions where people have the effect, we, the uh, experience we want them to have? Yeah, right. And so um, we do our very best, I think, to enhance. It's like, uh, how do we enhance as many of those different pieces at a time mm -hmm. as we can? And mm -hmm. we can't get them all. And, you know, you may have, you know, like, I know I have gone to massage sessions where somebody, you know, has got this soft pleasant music playing and then all of a sudden Paco Bell's Canon comes on there and I can't stand that okay. song because I've heard it 53 billion times over and over. It's like, yes. oh, now I feel my, my nervous system, you know, just tightening up and, and getting, yes, you know, that's true. Uh, facilitated, you know, the irritability getting facilitated uh -huh. in that process. So, uh, yeah, we don't have control over all those things, but we try to maximize as many of them uh, as we can here. That's right. So, yeah. So. Um, oh, one more thing. I got. Yeah. I got another. I, I looking over my notes. Uh, I am into signals. It's not all psychology for me at all. I am into this signal stuff, and the the uh, distinction between that Olson mentioned in his paper between unpleasantness and uncomfortable. Uh huh. That's a big one to dive into. The yeah. idea that pain quote uh, or let's say sensation is reflected onto your sensory cortex in your brain. And then pleasant, unpleasant is projected onto your insula, your, a different part of your brain that has more to do with typically emotion and sense of self, while the sensory, the sensation stuff, is more about position and motion and motor things. That's a fascinating distinction to me. Yeah, yeah. And I thought Bud, that was particularly interesting too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Bud Craig, a re uh, uh, researcher, 
uh, around uh, the neuroscience of interoception. He's got some really great stuff to say about how itch and temperature and some pain signals, depending on the type of pain, and then also the affective touch, the pleasant touch, all share similar pathways that project onto the insula, while joint position and pressure of other kinds and different kinds of sensations project onto your sensory cortex. So you have like, a, you know, the simple version is you have sensation, and then you have pleasant, unpleasant. And then they come together in the back part of the insula there, and that's actually the area that maybe I'm thinking about the most when I'm mm -hmm. touching. How do, I, how do I merge my inputs in a way that includes pleasant, unpleasant, where actually I'm going for the pleasant, of course, and then sensation so that people can actually be remapping their responses and reactions around uh, whatever presenting symptom they have. Yeah, and that kind of gets into that, that idea that many people speak about in, in the manual therapy world of something when you're doing a particular type of work with somebody and they say, you know, let's say you're doing something that's moderately deep or intense with them and say it hurts good, you know. Yeah. There is a, a sensation like, you know, yeah, maybe my nociceptors are really sort of firing there from that, yes. but the interpretation of this sensation is like, I, I really actually like that. It feels like it is either changing something or enhancing something or doing something to help decrease my discomfort level with that. So it's that's a positive sensation. So That's right. Yeah. Or it, it goes along with some of the research into uh, cannabinoids that show that people with pain who use those actually report the same levels of intensity, but the unpleasantness goes way down. Uh -huh. yeah. So that it's just as painful, but it doesn't bother them half as bad. Uh -huh. And then sometimes, you know, when we can't diminish the intensity other, any other way, certainly we can in, uh, diminish the unpleasantness. And that's a yeah. godsend for someone that's in pain. Yeah. So, well, good stuff. I think there's a lot of fascinating things in here, too. Um, mm. One of my key takeaways from this discussion, I liked the thing that you said a little while ago. Again, this is going to be our, our bumper sticker of the show of the the tissue that we're affecting the most is the one between the ears. I liked that. So uh, <laughs> yes. that's a t-shirt quote. All right. So, good. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Very good. Well, um, we'll wrap that up here for today. We would like to say a big thank you to our sponsors for the show. And uh, you can stop by the show, uh, stop by our site for show notes, uh, some updates on CE credits and uh, extras there. And we are over at the thinkingpractitioner.com. And Till, where can people find you on the web? Yep, advanced-trainings.com, advanced-trainings.com. You can go there for the, for the full transcript of our conversation today. And I know you can go to your site too, Whitney, for those things. What's your site? They can also, yeah, find that stuff over at the academyofclinicalmassage.com. So uh, those things will live over there. And um, if you've got questions on anything else from the show, please feel free to email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. Or look for us over on social media in a number of different locations. Where uh, Till, where can they find you on social media, other places? Uh, at Till Luca, T-I-L-L-U-C-H-A-U. That's everywhere. And yeah, uh, questions, suggestions for topics, requests, hate mail. We haven't gotten any of that yet, but it's coming. Not yet. I know. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we're looking forward to that. So All right. stay in touch. Sounds good. And uh, please, if you will, take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever is your podcast listening platform of choice. It really does help everyone else uh, get a chance to locate and, and find us there as well. So thank you all to the listeners who are diving in uh, and staying with us here. We certainly appreciate your time and investment of, of your um, 
efforts to, to listen to us, and hopefully that is expanding, helping some things with your practice and helping you become the thinking practitioner as well. Mm-hmm. Pleasure talking to you, Whitney. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. We'll do it again. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Okay.